Dr. Jana is a New York-based sex researcher, writer, and educator. She has a PhD in developmental psychology from Cornell University, where she studied how different aspects of sexuality, in particular casual sex and promiscuity, are linked to health and well-being. She's currently an adjunct professor at the NYU Psychology Department, where she teaches a course on human sexuality. We kind of briefly touched on a couple of the cultural differences, but I'm, one, wondering if there are any additional cultural differences that were found in the research or if there has even been any cross-cultural research done. And then another follow-up and kind of a bigger question is like subcultures of age, especially in the elderly populations Mm -hmm. where, you know, there's so much research about casual sex happening in in retirement homes and people generally have a stronger sense of self when they're older so is it that stronger sense of self that is kind of letting these people let loose and get their (laughs) dopamine going in the way they've always been wanting to um or what other uh what other things might be at play yeah so with the age thing it's interesting there are a number of different things going on at the same time on one hand you have people who are much more aware of who they are, what they want. They've been around the block and have had probably some some relationships already and they're more able to show up in those experiences from a position of autonomy and, and authenticity to some extent. So it really depends on where is that 30, 40, 50, 70 year old person coming into casual sex from? If they're coming to it after a lifetime of monogamy, right, where they never really had an experience of negotiating more casual interactions, they might be just as clueless and just as, you know, full of mistakes that as a 18 year old or a 17 year old who is just starting to have some some of these um, experiences so because it's so new and you don't know what you're doing and it's very different from everything that you've experienced up to that point with your one long-term partner so there is that there's also for the older population we kind of started hearing about a lot of this casual sex that was happening in retirement homes and communities because uh, sexually transmitted infections were going up like crazy And that was an interesting kind of a cultural cohort effect that was happening because these these older folks grew up in a time when there were no condoms or nobody was really using them. The the AIDS hadn't happened to the world yet and and all that. And now they're they're just not thinking about that. They don't think that they're at risk. They think they can't get pregnant anymore. Well, they can't get pregnant. Exactly. So pregnancy is no longer a concern. And they think, oh, we're at low risk for STIs. SDIs really don't care what age you are as long as you are exposing yourself to the risk behaviors that (laughs) if you're engaging in the risk behaviors that can lead to transmission, it's going to happen. And so we were seeing this rise in STIs among the uh, older folks. So, you know, there, there are those kinds of things, different factors pulling some of these effects in different directions. And uh, on one hand, the the there's no hookup culture among older folks necessarily or kind of middle age or even the people in their 30s post-college the way that 
hookup culture exists in colleges where there's kind of an expectation that people will go out on the weekends and they'll get wasted and they'll hook up with someone and they're never going to talk to that person again. There's the, this, this whole set of cultural scripts that college students have developed around, hookup, ho- around hooking up that we now call hookup culture. And that might not exist so much among people who are out of college because it's also not such an insular environment that most people live in after college. Colleges are such their own little ecosystem that's relatively closed off to the rest of the world. And so you can have these very clear, very uh, specific scripts that develop, whereas people might be a little more a little more individualistic around how they approach their casual sex experiences uh, at 30, 40, 50, and, and, and so on. And so to some extent, they might feel more freedom to be more authentic as opposed to having to follow this very specific script, which is not a very healthy script. People have a very negative view of hooking up because of the hookup culture that has developed around it. But hookups per se... Hookups are not the problem. Even a hookup culture per se is not a problem. It's a bad hookup culture that's a problem. What hookup culture is, is a a given set of ideas about how hookups happen and how they should happen. A set of scripts. And whether that hookup culture is going to be a healthy and fulfilling and positive culture for the people who follow those rules depends on those rules. Are those good rules? Are they bad bad rules? What the the problem right now in many of the colleges and the way that we think of hookup culture is that bad hookup culture that has developed. And some of those scripts are things like alcohol is heavily involved, everybody's wasted. And when you have that level of intoxication, all these other things that we talked about authenticity and autonomy and consent and pleasure, being able to know and have a communication with your partner about what they like, what they don't like, all of that goes out the window. And the more intoxicated you are and your partner is, the, the worse that is. So, so that's a big piece of that script that harms the people who follow that script in terms of their hookups. Many of those scripts that, that make up hookup culture as it is are uh, quite unhealthy, like no negotiation of consent whatsoever. Very often the way these hookups happen in in college is you're dancing someone comes up to you from behind oh my starts God, grinding on you worst. you've never even laid that's eyes also a cultural thing here it is just come up behind i swear i don't think anybody's creepier on the dance floor than in the u.s yeah i've never had that happen and then in you Europe. have to look at your friend and you're like who's who, yeah. who is this person yeah. do, do i do you save me do do you want to save me should you save me save me and in fact people will have pacts with their friends that when that happens when someone comes yeah. from behind oh, yeah then you have the, your to. friend is your mirror basically yeah. to tell you whether you want to keep dancing with that person or not but i've i find that so repulsive and that's just an example of consent at least for me has always been why do we only tie to the bedroom why it's the same it's we you can't really practice what you don't preach in the sense of if we're not practicing consent on mm-hmm. the dance floor not saying like you know if you make eye contact with somebody and oh, there's absolutely. a clear consent there but i have specifically noticed again in latin america mm-hmm. that i don't think anybody danced with me once without in some way or another 
verbal or non-verbal asking permission. Absolutely. And it was such a relief. It's not just permission. To know that there are creepy people lurking behind (laughs) you. Yeah, yeah, that's... It, I mean, you still have a pact about if you need to get saved or not. But sure. There, that just being so important. Yeah, people think consent has to be verbal, has to be like... No, consent is it can be establishing mutual interest that doesn't have to have any words exchanged. As you said, on the dance floor, something like eye contact and a smile. Yeah, or extending an arm and you either... Yeah, take that arm take or not. Take the hand or yeah. not. Yeah, exactly. And, but... In the hookup culture as is, especially on college campuses, that is not part of the script. Part of the script is that it's perfectly acceptable. In fact, it's it's even desirable. There's a great book on on hookup culture on campuses written by a sociologist, Lisa Wade, called American Hookup, in which she kind of goes through the script of what is hookup culture. And she did a lot of interviews with college students across America of how hookups play out. And even the women who would be the ones supposedly repulsed by this kind of behavior. They were saying that that's how they expect guys to approach. If a guy approached in any other way, then they would think that he's not cool. And how that is so backwards. Yeah. And that is why really the conversation around all these themes is something that needs to come from both sides. But really a conversation that verbal or nonverbal needs to come from people knowing what their own rights and boundaries are and not just being accepting of the shitty (laughs) behavior. I know. Hookup culture and the unhealthy practices it has. Mm -hmm. Not just kind of settling for that or or blindly seeing that as the only option, but really trying to to change it. Right. But I think that happens when you when you have this sort of bad hookup culture, I'm going to call it the, the bad hookup culture, toxic, the toxic we'll hookup it, yeah. culture, and people think that, and, and people say, well, that's the only way hookups can happen. That's the mm-hmm. only hookup culture that mm-hmm. can possibly exist. If you have a culture in which people hook up a lot, it has to be like this. There's no other way because hookups are the problem as opposed to doing hookups poorly being the problem. In fact, you can have a very different kind of hookup culture that has good scripts associated with how things should happen. And you can see that in the sex positive community, in polyamorous, kink, kinky communities, uh, sex party communities. Not all places obviously will have some of these, but many of the big cities in America and elsewhere have at least the beginning of Uh, some sex positive culture and when you go to some of these events you have a hookup culture there there's plenty of hooking up going on but there the scripts around how hookups should happen are very different the scripts are you shouldn't be overly intoxicated in fact if if you notice that someone is kind of too intoxicated then you you're not going to take their word even their consent even explicit consent you might take it with a grain of salt and maybe say, maybe we'll do this, you know, next time when you're less, <laughs> less intoxicated. You really focus on making sure that there is mutual enthusiastic consent. You make sure this is another script that, that exists in the toxic hookup culture that in heterosexual hookups, it's really the male ple- pleasure that matters. And if the woman has an orgasm or has a good time, that's great. That's, but that's a bonus. That's not a requirement. 
Whereas in the in the sex positive hookup culture, everybody's pleasure matters just as much. And so everybody tries to be as invested as they can in each other's pleasure. Another toxic script uh, or script in the toxic hookup culture is what we were discussing earlier on on how much passion and intimacy you're going to put into your hookups with with the toxic hookup culture script being zero intimacy. The, f- the less intimacy, the better. You want to be as detached as you possibly can. And that is countered in the sex positive hookup culture as the exact opposite. In fact, you put in as much passion and intimacy as you possibly can. In the, in the toxic scripts, it's no communication around anything. What you like, what you don't like, you know, how do we make this better? Uh, communication before, communication afterwards. Whereas in the non-toxic, positive, sex positive hookup culture, you have the script is, you check in with your partner, you make sure that they're on the same page, you're not trying to manipulate them into something that they don't want to do beforehand. You try to get as much information as you can from them about what is going to make them feel good during the encounter. And then after the encounter, you check in with them. You thank them for the experience, you make them feel good about it. And then you negotiate, is there going to be something following that or not? But even if there isn't, you try to wrap that up in a way that gets you know, it leaves everybody feeling good about it, even if it, if it wasn't the most amazing sex, because again, it's a gamble. You don't know if it's going to be amazing. It might not be, but you don't walk away feeling taken advantage of or disrespected, whereas that's such a common thing in the toxic hookup culture. And so I want us to not blame hookups for the negative consequences that people often experience from hooking up. It's the toxic scripts that govern how we go about hookups that lead to those consequences and we can replace them with these positive healthy uh, scripts that are going to end up with everybody enjoying and and having positive as opposed to negative outcomes it was so interesting because as you were talking about that and i was thinking back on what you said about our desires our values and our behavior so often people think i need to change my desires or i need to change my values Mm. but really where we need to start is by changing the the behavior you know whether it's it's the the way we were are acting out these scripts that we're following but going back to what kind of that other side i now realize that they're different we really do need to change the way we think talk and act because that's what's defining these scripts and we need to change the script and really raise raise the bar so we stop mm-hmm. settling for the shitty script yes so we stop living that shitty script um and and know that we deserve better and know that better exists exists exactly and it's and then align that with whatever your Mm -hmm. desires and values are absolutely i also was thinking back to what we talked about earlier what people's goals are of you know these casual sex casual encounters and and when they're not the goal is intimacy for example if in the US, let's say casual sex, people only associate with the goal of sexual pleasure. But if the goal is maybe just physical touch or if the goal is intimacy, then it would allow this space for casual encounters, I'll say, because they might not have to include sex. Mm-hmm. You could have these casual hookups that were non-penetrative, that where maybe somebody really just does need a great cuddle sesh, mm-hmm. and it would create that space for that 
that to be mm-hmm. okay because I think part of the problem is people see it and it's so easy to see it this way sadly our culture only leaves space where it's you know I, I can think you can either bring this person home and invite them into your bed and have sex with them or you don't invite them home and you don't let them in your door right because we don't create space for the in-between but what if that space existed for I can invite you in my door I can invite you into my room and into my bed but it doesn't need to lead to anything more than whatever we want and maybe that's sex maybe that's something in between or maybe that's just intimacy created Mm -hmm. in some other way maybe that is the cuddle session but until we have space for that that in between Mm -hmm. we're just forcing these extremes of the script that Mm -hmm. are that might not be meeting the needs of the people involved yeah absolutely i mean that's why there is a there is a service that exists out there for uh, that people pay for cuddling, right? There, you can you can hire a professional cuddler to come into your house, <laughs> like you would hire a massage person, or you yeah. can hire a sex worker to s- satisfy sexual needs or massage needs, and you can hire a cuddler, professional cuddler, to come in and cuddle with you. And you're right, we, we uh, I mean, need it. I I, um, I support <laughs> providing services that people need that they can't meet in other ways. But absolutely, I think so many more people would be able to to get some of their needs met, many of their needs met, if we had a broader understanding for what these connections with different people can be. Yeah. And then it just so much comes down to the communication of feeling comfortable communicating. Mm. These are my needs, my desires and value, and this is how I want to behave. Um openly with you know be it somebody you just met and are deciding whether or not to invite in the door but on both sides the responsibility Mm -hmm. absolutely to know and then to communicate that yeah i think of everyone having 100 percent of the responsibility for stating their their interest and desires and boundaries and then respecting the other person but you can respect the other persons if you if that person didn't tell you what what they want or not want like a consent to respect almost which yeah. would be pretty amazing <laughs> so the at one point i've heard you say people aren't psychic and so going back to this everything you know not necessarily needing to be verbal but needing to be said in Expressed. some way mm-hmm. and people don't realize <laughs> but like people really don't realize and so it's that knowing your own boundaries and 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 saying them because people can't read your mind as much as you you want them to be able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it starts with this kind of understanding that people should just know what to do in a sexual situation, and and that uh, that's piece of a piece of that, and then the other piece, especially when it comes to male female heterosexual interactions, that the guy should always know what what he's doing but there's no knowing what you're doing outside the particular partner that you're with you can have a certain uh, set of tools in your toolbox but which one you're going to pull out and use depends on what the (laughs) what is the appropriate tool for this particular context and this particular person and so even if you do have someone who's relatively skilled and caring and invested you're still going to need to communicate to some extent or at least engage in a fair amount of 
kind of research and development or trial and error until he gets exactly Some good R&D <laughs> yeah what it is that you want and in in casual interactions you don't really have necessarily the amount of time available and this is a person that barely knows you and you barely know and people really aren't psychic so that's why it becomes so important I mean it, communication is important in any sexual interaction but the less you know the person and the less that person knows you, the less they are invested in your pleasure and enjoyment, the more important it becomes that you express what it is that you want and not want and make sure that you get it. And uh, of course you can think of encouraging your partner to let you know as well what they like and don't like, but uh, it's, a, it's a two-way conversation. And of course, it doesn't have to be verbal. People often think, oh my God, this communication thing is, I don't have the words for it. It's so awkward. I don't feel comfortable doing it. And that's often true because we're not taught to have sexual conversations. And when do you have them? Do you have it in the moment? Do you have it before that? But there's so many different ways to say what you want or, or express what you want with words, with moans, with actions, pulling someone closer, pushing them away, moving their hand this way or that way, you know, moving your, your, your own body to put yourself in a different position and, and all that. Um, offering to do something for your partner or inviting them to do something to you and so on. But it's so critical. People are not psychic. I keep picturing these have you seen the studies of developmental psychology, the studies of children, and they watch this video and somebody takes a piece of treasure and the child is watching on the video and they go into this other room that the nobody else can see and the person hides the treasure in some place in the room. And then to the, to the child, they ask, now if somebody else goes into that room, where do you think they'll look for the treasure? And up until a certain age, they can only say, well, right where it is. They'll know where it is. And it's just so interesting because some of that feels like it, it f kind of carried over somehow. <laughs> so if that treasure is your orgasm, is your pleasure, or is just your needs, be it touch, you know, whatever your desire need be, somehow people are stuck on this well they'll just look you know where i where i hit it right. they'll just know i put it there so it's it's there very so funny <laughs> i've never thought of theory of mind experiments uh, being being applied to this but yeah in a way in a way that's true and that's often and difficult for be. women in particular because in heterosexual relationships because we're taught as women to not be assertive to not really demand because we're going to hurt the male ego because the man should know what to do. And if you tell him that he, he basically is not exactly doing what, what you want him to, or if you tell him that you want him to be doing something else, then you might hurt his male ego as the sexual god that he's supposed to be in, in that situation. You also don't want to appear too sexual if you if you say I want this or that or I want another orgasm or whatever, then you might appear too slutty, too sexual, too, and that's that can be threatening. And you're supposed to be there. Your 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 role is to please the man. And women have internalized those values that it, it's the male orgasm that really counts. And yours is a bonus if it happens during the time that it takes for the guy to come. Great, but 
if it doesn't, then oh well, next time, right? We all have internalized those those scripts that sex ends when the male when the man orgasms and so on. So all of these things uh, make it very difficult for women to ask for what they want or even be a little more selfish that that will get them to experience the pleasure that they want. Maybe we can call it self-full. Like they should be, you know, being, because you encourage people to say, to be selfish, but there's such a, you know, negative negative connotation to that already that I think self-full. Self-full. I like that. Yeah, I often say in these, because you mentioned the orgasm gap earlier and there is an orgasm gap with heterosexual women in particular having orgasms a lot less frequently than and less a lot less reliably than heterosexual men are and that gap exists in long-term romantic relationships but it's even bigger in casual interactions it's much bigger in casual settings because of all these things that we talked about thus far and in order to to bridge that orgasm gap i often talk about women needing to be more selfish ask for what they want, demand their pleasure, demand their needs to be met, and men need to be more giving and more attentive to their female partners. But I like selfful. Yes. Good, perfect. <laughs> selfful and generous. Um, yes, men need to be more generous yes, and women need go. to be Positive more selfful. Positive connotations. I like yeah. it. I like it. To wrap things up then, closing on, on those you know, themes of self-full and generosity and everything that we've talked about, what could be to really take things out of the theory and the concepts and understanding it, what would be kind of a piece of actionable advice or examples of behavior that people, so nobody can leave this kind of being like, oh, I get it, but then not go out and actually create that change. How can we give somebody something? I don't want to say homework assignment, but (laughs) a homework assignment. Just, you know, a one way, one example in which they can really practice enacting the change that we've been talking about and change their own script and, and behavior. It really starts with, as we're talking earlier with the desires and the values, I think people need to examine their desires. What do you crave in general? To what extent, let's say if we're talking about casual sex in particular, how much do you want this? How much is this a turn on for you to have sex with people that you don't necessarily know very well? If this is a big turn on for you, then okay, well this might be something that you wanna pursue uh, more. And even it, it gets more more granular than that. It's not necessarily just any casual sex because, again, as we talked, casual sex is a pretty broad set of experiences. And so what are the kinds of, think about what are the kinds of interactions that you want to have with people and maybe go back to some of your, I think probably the best homework assignment that's more, that's most <laughs> applicable to everybody is go back to the best hookup that you've ever had and the worst hookup that you've ever had and write down analyze it what happened what did you do what were you thinking what transpired how who was your partner how did the hookup happen was there alcohol involved was there did you use condoms did did you have an orgasm was it pleasurable what kind of uh, what kind of communication you had with that person so really analyze the the experience and see what are the things that worked and that you want to do again and more of and seek 
that out and what are the things that you didn't enjoy and didn't work and what you can learn from that to not repeat it and think about okay what is it that I can do, that I can do next time I hook up with someone to prevent that from happening because I mean there are some things that we obviously don't have control over other people's behaviors for example to some <laughs> to a great extent but there's so much that we can control based on what we do and how we approach the situations and so <clears throat> you know if you ended up feeling terrible after your last hookup because you didn't use a condom and then you spend the next, I don't know, week or two freaking out about whether you got chlamydia or whether you got pregnant or something like that, then learn that lesson for your next hookup. If the experience was negative because you ended up not really getting much pleasure because you didn't express what you wanted because your partner really just wanted to have jackhammer sex and all you wanted was for him to go down on you well next time try to express that and make that happen during that time so there's no one one uh you know advice or homework that is going to work for everybody because different people are going to have different struggles depending or different things that they need to learn and improve on depending on which areas of everything that makes up casual sex they feel like they don't really have a good grasp on but i think going back to in maybe not even the worst and the best sometimes the worst and the best are not a very good example but even going to the meh to the kind of the whatever hookups and how you can make them better what what would you have done mm-hmm. what what could you do differently in the future to make those mediocre experiences amazing experiences And it reminds me a bit, and I think those are fantastic pieces of advice, great examples. And it also reminded me a bit of a quote I heard from you before that was, you know, before you have sex with somebody, ask yourself, if I never see this person again, do I still want to have sex with them? Mm. Which is another just example of something really proactive and tangible that, that people can take with them. Yeah, that's true. That is a good piece of advice for each and every, individual hookup that you might go into that in general people have more or less need or interest or desire in hooking up versus not hooking up and we talked about that a lot but you can also think of that in the uh, hookup by hookup basis even if you're someone who's crazy into hookups you still might not really be feeling this particular hookup so before each time you have sex with somebody ask yourself why am i why am i doing it do i really want this even if I never see this person again, would I still want to have this particular experience? And if the answer is no, not really, then maybe you don't want to go into it unless you have communicated that with the other person that there is mutual interest in this not just being a one-night stand. And I think people need to remember too that they can keep asking themselves that throughout the experience and it's not just a one-time thing before Mm -hmm. it starts. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us today. You're it's been welcome. amazing, and I look forward to continuing the rest of the conversation. As some of you might know, but many of you may not, we are blocked from Facebook and Instagram and are unable to advertise our content. Even PG images and captions and educational content is blocked and flagged as illicit or inappropriate content. Because of this, we truly ask that if you like what you're listening to, you share this with even just one or two people who you think might enjoy it as well and help us spread the good word. 
And if you want to be truly amazing, if you could go rate the podcast and write a review on iTunes, one of the only ways to help truly get the word out is by working our way up in the rankings and eventually making it to the featured section. We really appreciate your listening. And if you have any feedback, ideas, or suggestions, or requests, please let us know at hello at bbxx.world. Thank you so much for tuning in to listen to the BBXX podcast. You can learn more on our website or on our social media at bbxx.world. And if you believe in what we're doing, please do help spread the love by sharing this with someone you care about. Until next time. Oh,